Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 6, 2019. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, let me guess, another award story to headline our show today. <laughs> Wait, we're in the, um, the holiday season now, as we have uh, mentioned over the last, uh, what's it been, 27 years we've been doing the show? Yeah, right? At least. That, uh, that, um, uh, the journalism world, uh, all news stops between Thanksgiving and New Year's. <laughs> it's like the dog days of summer, except it's, uh, almost winter. And again, the news doesn't actually stop. The people writing the news stop because they're <laughs> on holiday parties and stuff like that. That's so, right. So those of us that steal from other people that write the news <laughs> really struggle at this time of year. So, <laughs> uh, so we'll do our best here to, to make this show uh, entertaining despite the uh, lack of other people reporting news for us. Yeah, I know. What are they doing? <laughs> Slackers. Get off their asses and give us some stories. All right, well, the Global Poker Awards have announced that this year's ceremony, which will be broadcast live on Poker Go on March 6th. Look at that. I, I couldn't even steal a story right without me. <laughs> on March 6th, uh, we'll dole out more awards, including uh, a Player's Choice Award for Best All-Around Player. All total, there'll be more than 20 awards handed out. Uh, categories and voting procedures will be announced soon. Is one of the categories best usurpers of uh, original news? <laughs> best repackaging. Yeah, repackaging. It's us. Repurposing. That's the PC, PC term for stealing. <laughs> Anyhow, repurposing your news since 2005. <laughs> In our defense, I'm sure our news gets repurposed more than we repurpose other people's. Yeah, I agree with that. It's probably probably a, a balanced scale out there, and it's tipped in our favor, right? So, So they're going to just keep... Coming up with more and more awards until we finally win one, right? <laughs> no, no, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. Uh, they, they might have to get to uh, uh, 1,020 awards before that happens. I'd like to know, uh, you know, the Antioch Nation sort of uh, participates through Facebook with us a lot now. I'd like to know if our fans really care about awards. I mean, I know we care about them because we get to have that topic to re- usurp and and repurpose for the show, but but uh, I mean, do people really care who the player of the year is, or who the best all around player is, or what casino has the best mid major tournament and a fall weekend? I mean, I'm just curious if they really is it really matter? I mean, they have the People's Choice Awards, and everyone tunes in for the stuff on TV and stuff for like the Academy Awards and all that. But you love them because it's like a contest for you trying to win the the pool the pool or whatever. But I'm just curious what what do do will it change your lives if poker awards shows went away? Poker awards, not shows, but just ceremonies and everything. Curious when people think of them. Yeah, I would say uh, it's no. You're right. It's not going to drastically change our world. It's not like I'm going to be hungry. <laughs> yeah. Go away or, yeah. Or, or not have access to uh, reasonably priced uh, healthcare or anything like that. Right. They're the smaller issues that we're dealing with, but. Um, but, you know, I'll always say this. I mean, I, you know, uh, I, I get into the Oscars not just because I want to win the pool, but I always do win the pool, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it's because I actually like movies, so, and I like um, talking about movies, right? So, obviously, everybody listening to this show, I would hope, uh, likes poker <laughs> and, by extension, likes talking about poker, right? So, you know, this kind of stuff gives you something else to talk about. So, um, uh, basically, I don't think why sports ever crushed that somebody doesn't win an award? But you know, there's a list of nominees I see at the poker table. I mean, it's a lot better talking about that than it is politics or religion or sex, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So well, it serves a purpose. It, it does. And I mean, it, it's basically why sports were invented. So have people that something to talk about that. You know what I mean? Not, hey, you can throw that thing really far. <laughs> what were those guys over there talking about? This is really great. Now we got something. I mean, that's how sports started. So I can see that's how poker is starting. To, I got uh, 10 Roman dollars on the lion. I'm pretty sure he's going to win. <laughs> Roman dollars. <laughs> you want the guy? You go ahead and take the guy. <laughs> oh, man. And then afterward, they, they talk about it in the. In the vomitorium, you know. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, yeah, I just get interested to see how people think. I mean, it's great that you know people get accolades. That's and then when they get them, they all say, well, "This isn't why I do it." You know, uh, I'm just making a living or just trying to be the best poker player I can be. But you know, but of course they want. Yeah, let's the give credit to this, folks. As a poker player, it's really hard to be uh, not have an ego, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. The fact that you're able to fake that up there is is a, a skill on its own. You probably get an Oscar as well. Yeah, get so. into acting exactly. <laughs> uh, no, what uh, I, I guess what I'll say here is, you know, we've had our problems with the uh, global poker awards before. If folks don't remember that there there always been the European poker awards, and then, then for a couple of years there were the American poker awards. Last year they combined that all into one, which actually makes sense to me, and it's it's run by global poker, so yeah, <laughs> it should yeah. not be one award. That's global. So I kind of like the direction they're going. Um, again, we're always going to whine about the uh, the bias and the voters and the categories and the nominees because, uh, you know, it's very heavy on uh, the Vegas, L.A., South Florida uh, pro, not amateur crowd. Right. So so there are there are things that we'll continue to complain about. But um, overall, uh, I think it's good that there's a global poker awards out there. I think it's good that they uh, now are broadcasting live on Poker Go gives you more exposure to that. Um, so you know it's out there, and um, so yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to change anything. But it's, uh, I think, the poker world is a little bit better for having. It. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, I'm not disparaging awards. Just I'm wondering right. what people feel Whether about people them. Care. Yeah, exactly. Right. And because you know, someday we're going to get the lifetime achievement award because they're never actually going to be good enough to win anything else in their mind. So we'll be around <laughs> so long that eventually they'll be like, <laughs> all right, the, the, the consolation prize for yeah. everyone. Yeah, we'll get the Cecil B. DeMille award. <laughs> you know, but uh, seriously. <laughs> I mean, uh, enjoy the awards. I, I, I'm, I'm all for them. I just was curious what you, what you thought about them. And I look forward to us uh, talking about all the categories and voting procedures when those are up. And then the winners. And then the- that, that will yeah, help us fill the show. <laughs> all right. Uh, you know, while we're continuing to scrape the barrel here, um, it is the week after Thanksgiving, but uh, we need to talk about something, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see this uh, in time for last week's show, which would have been more appropriate uh, going into the holiday. But uh, I still think it's worth a discussion, again, because we need to talk about something. Uh, John uh, Sofin, writing on CardsChat.com, listed seven things for which poker players should be thankful. So uh, I want to run through them and see which ones you think we should be thankful for, if not all of them, or none of them. Okay. So, and between, I imagine, is going to happen, right? All right. All right. Uh, number one, poker players work together to bust an alleged cheater. Number two, generous river cards. Three, many resources to improve your game. Four, poker rooms are open on Thanksgiving. Five, some online poker legislation to be happy about. Six, you can still earn a living playing poker. And seven, poker controversies. Now, he did uh, um, uh, did qualify that last one as saying that was more just selfish for him because yeah. he writes stuff and yeah. the more controversies out there, the better it is for him. So we can go ahead and like cross that one off, right? So so what about the other six? Any of these that we should be thankful for? Any of these that we should not be thankful for? Well, I was hoping for number eight. I'm thankful for Poker Awards uh, shows. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that, that should have been in there somewhere. But uh, um, Well, you know what? Uh, it was interesting. I think it was more of a larger picture that he was trying to, to paint with some of these. Sort of like the poker players busting an alleged cheater or whatever. Uh, I thought that was interesting because if you take it a bigger picture, it's more like we look out for each other. Right. Uh, that's why they always say when something's wrong at the poker table, you speak up. Right. Right. So I'm right. thankful for the people who uh, pointed out that I had the low in that hand and would win half the pot when I thought I was getting scooped. You know, that kind of stuff. So I'm thankful for the people doing that, you know, for, for actually pointing out things that, that are wrong in the poker world that, that they should be pointed out. So uh, I, I agree with that. Being journalists. You know, yeah. The so, watchdogs. Uh, let me talk a little bit about that one as well, too. I mean, obviously, we we've set our piece on the uh, the alleged cheater they're talking about. So, but right. uh, but I like where you went with that. That it, 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 on a bigger scale, the fact that poker players have shown now a propensity to try to root out the the bad eggs in the carton, right? Yeah. Um, now, I, I would say they maybe potentially went a little far here yet, but 
But uh, but one of the things I've always said, I think we've always said on the show, and I tell people privately um, about anything. But what I like, what we do on our show is that we like to call out folks, um, the bad actors, because we understand that when there are bad people in poker, that affects all of us, all the good people in poker, right? Yeah. So. You know, one of the problems I have with, like, you know, whether it's a, a, a union or whatever, they, uh, they, they, um, you know, circle around the, their bad apples and try to protect uh, because they, they, they see it as a different way of protecting their integrity, right? Right. And I think it, it works the opposite way. So um, the, fa- the fact that uh, we all know that we don't want cheats at our table, um, that we want uh, poker rooms to operate correctly. And in players' interest, and for players to support those rooms, and uh, the fact that we can come together and kind of call out those um, in a macro sense is very good. So yeah, yeah. Oh well, I mean, I think I think uh, I was just going to say we can go right down the list. I think I have something yeah, to say about yeah. all of them if you want. Um, if you read the story that you wrote, uh, the thing about the generous river cards, you know, he talks about how you he sort of paraphrases uh, rounders when the guy quotes the. You know, hey, you, you barely remember the big pot you won, but with distinct, uh, you know, detail, you can remember all the, the the bad beats. And so the river card, he he made it sound like you know, be grateful for the ones that you hit that give you the suck out to win and stuff. And that you know, it, it happens to everybody. But I think the reason we bitch about it so much is because for the most part, when we lose, it's because we're losing to an inferior opponent or someone who's not playing as well that day. And you've gotten it in good, and you've got, or as Scott would say, well, um, <laughs> and and so I think that those generous river cards, yeah, you, you're you're grateful for them when it goes your way, but it doesn't happen that often if you're a, an educated player or someone who listens to say the Ania podcast and gets fantastic, you know, advice on how to play hands. Um, <laughs> but but seriously, right? right those generous. Saying, I mean, what you're saying is, and it's correct that if you play properly. The luck matters less, right? right? You'll be you'll you'll be thankful less for river cards because you won't you won't have to rely on them to make you a break even player, you know. Correct. Um, yes. So it's interesting that he wrote that. I I I don't know. I I'm not when I'm playing poker. If I'm relying on the river, you know, I'm not grateful for it. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, by some, it. Something went something went wrong in that hand. Yeah, right? exactly. I'm embarrassed. Maybe by not it. because of the way the play you way you played it, but something went wrong. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what's interesting about this, this is real timely. Um, one of the, the guys in my uh, Safety Harbor Park Poker Club asked me to go play a tournament with them last night, and uh, I had plans, so I couldn't. But then I um, I walked in a bar, and there he was, <laughs> like an hour after the tournament started. Oh, jeez. Like, yeah. And I'm like, uh, plan B? <laughs> and uh, so he went through this hand, and I'm not going to get into details, but he, he essentially had pocket queens. He flopped a set of queens and then lost to a river flush. Oh, jeez. Um, like on the first hand of the tournament. <laughs> oh, jeez! In a thirty thousand stack deep stack tournament, right? So, um, so um, you know, he could have sat there and complained to me and did, did a bad beat story, but he didn't. What he did is like, you know, he went back through every street and he said, you know, I didn't bet enough here, I didn't bet enough there, I didn't pay attention to the fact that in this tournament there was a promotion where the first five flushes uh, got something. I think it's a you know, a satellite seat or something like they usually do there, right? Yeah. So he's like, I should have, my, I, I should have known that people were drawing the flushes even if the odds weren't right. Um, by my bet size, I probably was still giving them the odds to to draw to that as well too. So uh, he was very upset with his own play, not the fact that he got sucked out on that or quote unquote sucked out on that last hand. And that's that's the way I think you need to approach it, right? Because that's a good player saying. Uh, the the river card didn't go my way, but I let everybody get there. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, you know, and there's there's bad beats in everything too. Right? It's funny that we, we somehow only associate it with poker, but right. you know, oh, yeah. you listen to somebody whose football team lost it, and oh, the refs, the penalties, it was offsides. <laughs> they, you know, what I mean, those are bad beat stories, just told in a different way, at a different angle. But it's funny you hear them in just about everything, all walks of life. Uh, so I'm not generous for those. Um, all right, so uh. The many resources to improve your game. Well, I, I'm very thankful for advancedpokertraining.com. They uh, they give us some incredible uh, content. Uh, they advertise with us. They're they're generous. They help out our cruisers with with subscriptions, and so I'm I'm definitely uh, 
Well, yeah, and beyond that, our our, our strategy columnists that yeah. write for us that uh, help you out. Uh, yeah. um, you know, the fact that even though you and I don't know anything about poker, we still try to help some folks. <laughs> That's right. We, we, we're oh, we're generous for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting looking at my bookshelf, which is literally filled with um, um, with with poker books. Um, and you know, every day there's somebody else out there that 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 uh, reaches out the ante up with something that they're trying to do to, to help someone. So yeah, that, that is fantastic. I mean, it's never been a better time to, um, to become for, to become a better poker player as easily as you can now. Right? Or a harder time to, to win because, of, right. you know, but, so. uh, yes, I guess what I was saying is there's, there's never been more resources available to you right now yeah, to exactly do it. And so that, that's great that people continue to still do it, you know, because in my mind, every once in a while we get sent another book, a poker book. Right. And I I, I privately I'm thinking, I'm like, do people still buy poker books? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, do people really buy books at all anymore. I mean, I, they, you know, download them for their Kindle and stuff. But, you know, a poker book doesn't, you know, unless it's a theory book. Right. Yeah. It doesn't work on a Kindle. You need to, like, you know, be able to reference it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I always wonder, I'm like, geez, another poker book out there. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit critical. But then I stop to think, and I'm like, it's great that, one, somebody still wants to write a book. Two, there's still somebody out there publishing them. And these books that we get sent aren't self-published. They're getting published by companies. So, right, right. Um, and uh, so that's a good thing, you know, whether whether you, you avail yourself of the information out there or not. Um, the fact that it's still being created is pretty darn cool. Uh, number four, uh, poker rooms are open on Thanksgiving. I guess we could make that say holidays, uh, for the most part. Um, yeah. but the, his was because, you know, you don't want to have to deal with the in-laws and people talking right. about politics and religion. So, um, well, you know, a lot of people have this like movement right. ag- yep. against being open on holidays and, right. uh, and I, I just, I find it ridiculous. I mean, I'm not going to get into it on the show. Our show is already 15 minutes long. We got a lot to talk about today. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that if, if somebody wants to be, I, I loved working Thanksgiving when I worked for the Times back in the day. I loved it, yeah. man. You know, for them. Oh, this is the point because I, I have had the, I know what you're getting at. I, I've had these arguments with friends as well, too, that, that, that. Don't go shopping. Especially yeah. if you go to JCPenney on Thanksgiving. Those exactly. Are the worst people. Exactly. Uh, uh, and, and what I told him, I'm like, you know, hey, you're you're kind of projecting your own thing. I understand you're trying to be nice. You're trying to look out for those folks that would rather be at their family dinner table than taking your order at Cracker Barrel. I get that, right? But to assume that all those people are miserable and upset working on holidays is wrong. Because yeah. back, you're right. Back when I worked on time, I volunteered for every holiday. Because one, I got double time. Yeah. Two, I got another day off that I could take some other time when stuff was actually open. Yeah. Um, and and three, I got a week's worth of work done without a bunch of you know big check, big big cheeses around, you know, scratching their chin, telling me what to do. Right? Yeah, exactly. So I actually liked it, and then then uh, Laura and I celebrated our holidays in our own way, the day before, the day after, that night, whatever. You know, we did it on our own thing. So, um, but. To bring it back to poker, I think one of the reasons that I really am glad the poker rooms are open is for a lot of people, poker rooms are their family. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, yeah. you know, we keep talking about, you know, I see people on Facebook, hey, if you got nowhere to go, come to my house for Thanksgiving. We got in a seat for you. Um, you know, Laura and I do that for Christmas for our friends as well, too. And that's all well and good. But um, for a lot of people, going to the poker room every day, that's their social outlet. Those are the people that they're the closest to. And so when you talk about being with your family, it doesn't have to be blood relatives, right? Right. So the fact that you can go on Thanksgiving and whether you eat turkey at the poker room or not, but be with the people that matter to you most, that's that's what the holidays are supposed to be about, right? I think. So um, I, I think it particularly for, for poker rooms, I think that's a good thing. Plus, you know, Thanksgiving dinner is, is either really early or really late. So you got time to kill in between. You know, you might as well go and – you know, check race somebody on the river and be grateful for that river. <laughs> Only so much tolerance you can have for how the Bears play this year. So. <laughs> oh, that was – I don't like the Bears, but that was a low. <laughs> Our Chicago contingent's going to be on you. Uh, they, they got their licks on me last year. So. <laughs> All right, some online poker legislation to be happy about. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that Poker Stars is starting to work, work its way into the states where it's regulated and – and uh, it seems like the the walls are starting to crack a little bit, and things are starting to go our way. I don't know if I'd be grateful or thankful for it, though. I, 
you know, I, I wanted to have them, but it's going so slow and, and it's just the bureaucracy is just ridiculous. So I don't know. I, that's one. It's, I'm, it's tough for me to wrap my head around being thankful for that. Yeah, that's a that's a glass half full, half uh, empty kind of thing, right? So you want to be thankful for anything going out there, but then do you uh, would you be more thankful if more of it was going on, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, I I, I would say I, I would wish the poker legislation was moving as quickly as sports wagering is, but <laughs> yeah, it's not. exactly. Um, but you know, hey, we'll take what we can get. But um, but yeah, that that may not have made my list. So number six was a revelation to me. Uh, I didn't know I could actually earn a living playing poker. I never could before. Yeah, I mean, why are we wasting time talking to each other by Skype every uh, Wednesday? <laughs> why are we out there making more money? Uh, I didn't realize <laughs> well, we could do that. Well, what I find funny about it is, I mean, are, are we ever at risk of not being able to earn a living playing poker? I mean, it gets harder. I get that. It certainly was easier when when online before Black Friday, uh, you know, poker Black Friday, right? Yeah. Um, so it, there, are, there are fewer people doing it and it's harder for those who are, but it's never going to go away. Right. I mean, people have been making a living at poker back in when they called it Pharaoh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know, you just, you just, if you want to, if you want to earn a living at poker, you can, you just have to put the time and effort into it. Um, but the opportunities are still there. I mean, I mean, look, we get. 48 to 60 pages of content every month of places you can go play poker right mm-hmm. so um as well as uh, as we mentioned all the resources so I, I i don't think there's a threat right now on people not being able to make a living but maybe i misunderstood what he was getting at well i mean you could also start a usurping news industry uh giant like us and uh start your own poker living that way but uh basically playing for a living i mean i think what he means is that it's just there's still enough rooms there's still enough people out there that aren't good Good or as good as you, that you can make a living off of them without having to to go crazy with number three, the many resources to improve your game. I think, right. you, you know, I mean, there's enough fish out there still who just want to go and entertain themselves and have fun and try to hit that high hand on the river, you know. So, um, but yeah, for me, it's never been <laughs> it's never been an option. Although my wife thinks I can probably squeak out a living somehow. I, I don't think I can. But uh, well, I've always said this. I probably said on the show. I've told my friends. I, I don't want to. I just you know. Yeah, me neither. When if Annie up goes away, you're not going to see me getting on the circuit and going from tournament series to tournament series. It's just not. It, it's just not fun. I mean, I, you'll see me playing a lot more than you do now, but uh, I will find something else to do for my income. <laughs> yep. And, and uh, keep poker as something that's fun because it's it's just a. You know, we don't need to get on this rabbit hole, but it's it's just a brutal, it's a really hard way to make an easy, easy living. That's yeah. where that comes from. Is yep, exactly. Sitting at the table and traveling and eating crap and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, No thanks. A lot of pressure. All right. It's a very sad week for the Antia family as we lost one of our own. Uh, Roz Jordan was a dealer on our very first Antia poker cruise way, way, way back in 2010. Wow, can you believe it was, that? It was actually nine, right? It was nine. nine. Yeah, it might have been nine, yeah. Yeah, it was nine. Um, and she dealt uh, on our cruises, uh, many, many more of those cruises after that, always making them very fun. Uh, she even ran one for uh, for us once that went very well. Uh, but more than that, uh, she obviously became a very, very good friend to both of us and to dozens, if not hundreds, of her passengers and was a very popular dealer and floor on the tournament circuit literally worldwide. She yeah. was always somewhere. Yeah. Uh, sadly, she was found uh, dead in her apartment last week. Um, don't know what happened yet. We're still trying to get that information. But uh, one thing is clear, we will definitely miss everything about her, from her smile to her sense of humor to her dedication to being the best dealer and uh, person she could be. Um, really, really sad weekend for us. Yeah, not a good week. Um, okay, let's just move on. Yeah. Uh, any updates? Daytona Beach Kennel Club in Florida, Harris, Cherokee in North Carolina, and Honda Resort Casino in Arizona are the latest poker rooms to join our Restock the Shells Food Bank Initiative with Blue Shark Optics this January. Go to antiopmagazine.com slash restock for more details and urge the managers of your favorite poker venues to join today. Jackson Rancheria Casino in California will award an Antioch Poker Cruise package for the April 9th sailing, plus $1,000 for expenses to the grand prize winner of a drawing on December 20th. Players can earn drawing tickets uh, in live poker games uh, until December 20th, with numbers being drawn every hour starting at 3 p.m. with a different prize each hour. For more info... Visit AnnieUpCruises.com. 
Uh, also, join the Antioch Fans Group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call the four questions, or just discuss anything poker. Go to Facebook and search for Anti Up Fans. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled this week's prize, a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Ed Boyle in the house says he was playing 1-2 No Limit Hold'em in a California tribal casino. Uh, we had a full nine-seat uh, table until someone busted out. Before the new player sat down, he told the floor he was going to go to lunch and he wanted the seat locked up. The floor said no, that he would not start his comp timer unless he played a hand at the table. So the new player bought his chips, played one hand, then told the dealer he was going to lunch. This now meant that the rest of the table had to play with only eight players for the next 45 minutes. During this time, nobody from the list could sit down because the seat was locked up. The floor still ended up uh, comping him during his 45-minute lunch, but now the rest of the table was negatively impacted by this player losing uh, us a playable seat. Instead of trying to abuse the comp system while he ate, I think the player should have gone to lunch before taking his place at the table. To make matters worse, on the one hand he played, he won a good amount of chips from two players. So that money just sat there without anyone having a chance to win it back. Isn't that how it always I goes? know. It just makes me laugh. Uh, is there a better way uh, that the floor could have handled this so that the other players are not impacted and uh, prevent this player from abusing the comp system? All right, Elliot says, uh, apparently they wanted to take a poker break from their dinner session. <laughs> <laughs> Love Elliot sometimes. Uh, this is the type of player that I have encountered numerous times at various casinos. It boggles the mind that someone would wait 5 to 50 minutes and then decide to go to eat for 45 to 60 minutes, but only after they've taken the seat for which they have been called. I have almost never abided that nonsense. The world doesn't exist, so these particular folks can always be accommodated without they, they themselves ever giving an inch. Being player-friendly doesn't mean getting walked all over and liking it. It means being nice and fair to all players. Letting these type of players take an extended break from a game in which they have barely participated in is not poker-friendly in the least. The rule I generally use in the rooms I operate is simple and fair. Once per shift or every eight hours, I let any player pick up their chips and remain first on the list for 90 minutes while they go eat. They must return at the same amount or a minimum buy-in, whichever is greater. If they choose not to pick up so that they can attempt to keep their seat, they get picked up at the next dealer change or much sooner if they've not even played a full rotation. Yeah, I'm going to quote uh, Spock from Wrath of Khan, 1982, uh, and say, Logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And, of course, Cap- Captain Kirk says, or the one. Um, uh, and I'm, not a, I'm not a trekker, by the way. That's the right way to say it now. It's not trekkie anymore. Um, but, but, yeah, this is absolutely embarrassing. I mean, seriously, you're going to wait around all day for a table and then, and then go earn 45 minutes of a dollar comp by go, you know what I mean? And yeah, I was going to say, of all things, this just shows how gallingly cheap some people are. It's ridiculous, and you're going I mean, to buy the lunch most anyway. Generous comp I've ever seen. Well, we do five dollars uh, uh, an hour on the Anna Cruz. So that's a little different, but I, I think it's four dollars an hour. Maybe is yeah. the most generous comp. And yeah. if you find, you're not going to find too many of those rooms. I mean, usually it's somewhere in the one to three range, right? Um, even that, yeah, you know. That, yeah. Uh, it, you know, I mean, wow. I mean, think about this for a minute. Uh, again, you don't know how long this guy was on the list. Maybe he got lucky, he just got on the list. Um, but this is a lot of effort for one to three dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Now, I granted, I tell you, 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 there are a lot of people that are super rich, and you ask them why they're super rich, and it's because you know, I, I, I cut coupons. I, you know, I did all this stuff. I did everything. I you know, I, I when people say it's just a dollar, I said yes, it's just a dollar. So I get that, but this is just beyond ridiculous, isn't it? Like, yeah, it, it, it this is, is just it complete is. as as um, Ed said, just completely rude to the players around you. It's so selfish that you say, "Hey, sorry guys, I really need this dollar." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you guys are going to be shorthanded for forty five minutes, but I hope you all understand. I need this dollar, and I'm going to give up the hour of playing time that I could have made even more money. I love Elliot's solution though. I love it. You know what? Yeah. You, you, you want to do that? Okay. We're going to put you first on the list for 90 minutes, go eat, come back, and then you'll get in as soon as you get back basically. And of course you better buy in for what you have in front of you or more if it's a minimum. But I love that 
I love that answer. And that's the, that's exact because that is doing the number one rule of the TDA and everything else, do what's best for the game. And clearly catering to one person who is craving $1 and giving up an hour of playing poker just to go do it, you know, is, is not the way to go. Uh, and I, I just, I love his solution. That's a great solution. That's why we picked Ellie to do this. Cause he just, yeah. And also, you know, he, for folks that don't really didn't see the subtlety here, he did actually answer the question without saying it. Um, I, I think, what I told Ed when I first got it, I'm like, if I was Floor, I would tell that guy, hey, you want to go eat right now? All right, great. Go eat. I'm not going to put you in the game, but I will keep you number one on the list. And that might be the best solution there. That way that guy's all right, fine, whatever. He goes, he comes back, and he'll be the first on the list without inconveniencing the other players. So there are things you could do like that, but but let somebody sit down and get up. I, and this is one of the things that I really I really like that um, tableside dining is taking off in poker rooms. I know there's a lot of uh, problems with that, some criticism, things they could do better with it. Um, but that was always frustrating uh, when people would get up and go eat. And if you're playing eight hours, you got to go eat. So I'm not begrudging somebody a meal. I mean, I've done it before myself. But I tell you, when I get up for a meal, I, I run, <laughs> chow, and I get back. Yeah. And so if it's a room that, that, that brings food to me at the table, I'm not going to get up and go somewhere else. I'm going to eat there. So uh, that that's kind of helped us a lot, I think. So I agree. I agree. Tableside dining is is a genius invention. I mean, keep them at the table longer. Yeah, yeah. All right, we got a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing in a micro-stakes live home game. The blinds are $0.05, cent, $0.10, cent, and we're fairly familiar with all of the players in the game. It's early in the night, everyone bought in for $20, and no one has dipped too far below or risen too far above their starting stacks. The game is 10-handed. The blinds post, the under the gun, plus one, and plus two fold. The MP1 makes it $0.35 cents to go, the MP2 calls, the hijack folds, the cutoff calls, and we're on the button with a round $20 and the ace of diamonds, tray of diamonds. The MP1 is going to be the villain of this hand. He's been playing in our home game for around five years now and has not gotten any better. His hands are random, his bets are sporadic, and he rarely folds. He sits with around $20 as well. Even though we could be up against a better ace, I like a call here. We have a lot of potential on a favorable flop and not a lot of flops that we can't easily get away from. The small blind and big blind also call, and we see a flop with 2-10 in the pot and 6 players. The flop is a beauty. The queen of clubs, tray of spades, tray of hearts comes down. The blinds check, and the MP1 makes a $1.50 bet into the pot. It's folded to us. I gotta tell ya, I'm really not worried about too many turns, and I'm hopeful one of the blinds will call. If we raise here, we might be pushing someone off a queen or some kind of middling pair. We simply call. The small blind calls, but the big blind folds. The pot is 660, and the turn is the nine of diamonds. This doesn't scare me in the least. The small blind checks, and the MP1 this time makes it $5. So, is this where we're coming alive? Do we want to string the small blind along some more? What's the move? It's time for the man's pokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands over to pitch situations podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, world's number one poker training site. Long-time listener, first-time submitter, Vic G in the house. <laughs> and uh, he says, I'm playing a one-two no-limit hold'em at my local Florida poker room. We're playing nine-handed with a table full of regulars, and I'm in the big blind. On my left is an older player who plays scared. We'll call him Dan. Good. He's not calling him Scott. That's nice. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, he says he'll put in huge races uh, with pocket aces, kings, and queens to avoid post-flop play. If he makes the nuts on a scary board, he'll just go all in regardless of the pot size. A standard bet post-flop can usually get him off most hands. Uh, he says Ray is on the button. Not Chris, just Ray. Hmm. Uh, he's a solid player who likes to slow play his big hand and allow the more aggressive players to bet at the pot, even if the board is very draw-heavy. He likes to walk the dog. Uh, on the river, he'll either make a big bet, usually for all of his chips, if he has the nuts, or senses that the situation is such that he can get his opponents to fold. So Dan and Ray will be our villains in this hand. Dan starts the hand with a squiggly 175, and Ray starts with squiggly 320. And Vic, as always, has these players covered. So 
Okay. Uh, he says, there's been a lot of limping in this game so far, and this hand is no different. Dan limps from under the gun. Uh, middle position player limps, as does the cutoff, and Ray on the button. The small blind comes along for the extra dollar, and we look down at the ace of diamonds, six of clubs, and the big blind. Uh, I hate in the blinds. You know, I mean, you'd like to sort of narrow the field if you could, but, you know, it's a crappy hand. Um, I mean, it just is, so I'm just going to wrap the table and hopefully flop big. There's no reason to get creative here with all these guys behind us, um, you know, with position on us the rest of the way, and we don't have a good hand. I just, I don't like to get creative with stuff like this, especially, it's not suited, it's not wheel-driven, you know, it's just, it's the worst ace possible, really, when you think about it, and so, and I'm just, I'm just happy to see a flop for the price I already had to put in, so let's wrap the table, knuckle down, and see what happens. Knuckle down, I like that. That's gonna be, that's gonna be my name of my country band. (laughs) I already named my heavy metal band, like, last week, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Or, or last week was my stunt stunt guy. Your stunt name, yeah. Yeah, knuckle down, opening for Big and Rich, folks. <laughs> uh, no, I absolutely agree. This, there's no reason to get crazy here. You got too many people in this hand. You're not going to be able to really thin the field. I mean, Vic, I assume, I always assume Vic is the the best player at the table. So, you know, potentially maybe you could raise here and and make it work for you. But generally speaking, for our listeners at this point, uh, be lucky you're, you're getting a quote unquote free. Free hand here, and um, if flop big, great. If not, then it's you're not committed. So. You know, and that's a good point you make. Uh, I know we've been around for you know over almost 15 years now, and and I just feel like the people who listen to our show are like us, and we're not these incredible players or advanced players or you know we're just we're better than average. We made a living out of out of the the industry somehow. But when you're getting hand of the week advice from us, I mean, basically, if you're looking for advice from us or a different way to play it, it's because you're not on the level of the people on TV either. And so if you get some hands of the week that look real sophisticated and everything, obviously some people sending in their hands of the week are better players than we are. So we're just giving you alternative ways to play it or ways that we would encourage you to play it if you're a beginner. I just have this feeling that a lot of the, you know, the, the fine players on the planet are not picking up their, you know, MP3 player or their phone and listening to, you know, a podcast about poker anymore. You know what I mean? So I feel like anything we're about to tell you is solid advice with maybe one level above ABC poker. So I would just wrap the table here. Oh, I'm going to make a um, a T public shirt for that. (laughs) That's kind of lengthy. You got to have it going down the back, you know, it's going to be a little box that says solid advice and it's going to be on level two of a, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, uh, Vic says there's already 12 bucks in the pot, and I'll only have position on the small blind for the rest of the hand, so I think it's an easy check. Yay. Isn't this the way these hand of the weeks get started anyway? Yes, they do. So, All right, uh, with $11 in the pot after the dollar rake is taken out, we see a flop of seven of hearts, five of clubs, four of diamonds. All right, so, uh, uh, small blind checks to us, and now it's on us with four players to act behind us. All right, tell me the board again, seven of hearts. Seven of hearts. Five of clubs, four of diamonds, so we okay. flopped an open ender. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, so it's interesting because you don't know if you should sort of set the price when you're drawing. You'd rather be in position and and try to dictate the price. But in this case, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen behind us. Um, the information he gave us on the players made it seem a lot like when they had hands pre-flop, what they would act like. Since everybody just limped, I really don't know how that's going to help me here. But uh, in my case, I don't want to be pushed off a hand on a draw either. So I'd probably just check and see what kind of price I'm going to have to pay for the turn. And maybe even then, if I don't believe the player, if I don't, if I have a good read on the player and I know they'll fold to a bet, maybe I check raise, make them think, oh, I'm in the blinds and I hit two pair or something, just take down a smallish pot and move on. But, um, Generally, I know I have a straight draw here. Sometimes I like to build a pot, but if I know there are people behind me that are going to go crazy on it, you know, so if I make it seven or eight or ten, and then they make it fifty or something because they don't believe me or because they've actually hit it hard and I'm getting priced out of his hand, I don't want that to happen here. So there's a lot of people in the hand. You want a lot of people in the hand when you hit your drawing hand. You want to make as much money as possible. So maybe I just check and try to get there for you know get to the turn for a, a decent price. 
Yeah, I think this is a really difficult decision to make. And, uh, you know, I listened to what you said and you made good points. And I'm sure Vic is going to give me um, um, a, a good analysis of it here once we get to that point. Um, I think the problem here is that uh, we got a flop that's better than we could expect with this hand, right? So, you know, if we hit our R straight here, I'm reasonably sure it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not there yet. We're also in a big blind, though. So the seven, five, four, these are all cards that uh, blind hands would have in a unraised pot, right? So by betting here, you could represent all kinds of this kind of stuff. But at that point, maybe then you're driving people out, which we're not there yet. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but the other thing, too, is that we've got six people in this hand and no one's raised. So we really don't know what anybody has here, right? Yeah. You know, so we're all over the place on this. Um, and you know, I think there's a time in my, my poker career where I would bet out here. And then once the straight got there, then I could like slow down and make people think I was scared of it. But I, I think players, even the recreational players have caught up to that, that gambit right now. Yeah. So, so I don't think I want to do that. So I think at this point, uh, I guess I think the best thing is just to check it and see how the hand develops and get more information. I mean, in fact, I mean, this is kind of the way you keep talking about how position is so important. Uh, but there are opportunities where you can you could use poor position to get the information you need. And I think that's one here. If we start getting alive in this hand now, we're giving people information before we have information back from them. So if we check here. We'll see what happens with these other four people behind us. Maybe the small blind decides to come alive after that as well, too. By the time it comes back to us, now we have all the information. Um, so I would take a chance. I mean, we're not we're not losing any value by checking here because we don't have a made hand yet. So, you know, it's different if we had two pair here or something we need to protect. So I'm going to check it and, and use this as a, an opportunity to um, – try to get some information on my other opponents. Well, that was very good level two thinking, Scott. Wow, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Scratching the surface of level three, maybe. We'll see. Uh, uh, mediocre, uh, uh, meteoric rise to mediocrity, I think, is what that is. Awesome. <laughs> All right, here says, we briefly considered taking a stab at this pot, but decided to just check and hope that it gets checked through. Yeah, we might be able to thin the field, but these are all regular players who know my tendencies and would likely call me in position. Ah, very good point. Mm. Uh, after four taps in the felt, it gets checked around. Wow. Okay. All right. So we, we didn't really get much information other than no one really likes this board or no one wants to take a, take charge of it at least. Right. Right. All right. With the same $11 in the pot, the turn is the best card in the deck for our hand, the tray of spades. So that makes our board seven of hearts, five of clubs, four of diamonds, tray of spades, and the small blind checks to us again. Here's the deal. And it is the perfect card. No flush can get there. The only straight that beats is a six, eight. Which maybe the small blind has the other guys. I don't believe would have that. You know, maybe the small right. blind is still waiting, and because the small blind is still waiting, I think we should still be waiting. Uh, I, I feel like everyone at that table, of everyone, I mean, someone at that table subscribes to the Scott Long School of Poker and will not let it check around twice. Right. So yep. someone's going to bet here. It doesn't have to be us and scare people out, and then they all fold. Maybe someone will bet. Maybe someone won't believe it and raise, and then it gets back to us. Maybe someone will bet. Someone will call, and then it gets back. You know, I mean, there are a lot of things we can do. But if we bet now, they're going to be like, you know, some guy's ace king, some guy's ace queen, some guy had jack ten. They're all going away. So you know, somebody had pocket, you know, sevens. Maybe then they got that set. Now they'll come alive. But it, it it's hard to imagine somebody wouldn't have bet something like a set earlier because of how wet it was. So I feel like a check here now will let someone try to bet, take a stab at it, and then we can judge from there what we need to do. Yeah, generally in these spots, the first person to bet wins the pot, right? So yeah, it's exactly what you're talking about is that um, I don't mind winning the pot, but I want to win money, not the pot, right? right. So, so if we check here, it gets checked around. The, the button in this hand has to bet here. They have to bet now. Um, even though it looks dangerous out there, you look at that, maybe somebody has a six – but you have to take that stab then because more often than not, no one – when it gets checked around this many times, no one actually has anything. So when you bet, you're going to win win this pot with whatever you have. So that's what I'm counting on here. I don't want to be the person to do it. I am assuming I, I, there's a high degree of probability that someone is going to be the one to do it. And now I'll call and then, then I'll probably have to take take the lead on the river just so I don't lose value. But at this point, my, my goal is to get whatever that bet is from 
whether it's the button or the hijack or whatever it is there. Um, I think that's the best we could hope for here. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Uh, our hero says, uh, only 11 bucks in the pod. If someone else has a six or worse yet, an eight, six, or even a nine, six, we'll hear from them for sure. I think if I bet, uh, $10 or more, it'll make my hand obvious, especially since, uh, there was zero interest in the flop. If someone plays back at me, uh, are we going to the mattresses with his hand? I decided to test the waters with the intention of three betting should the conditions dictate. So I casually toss in a $5 red chip. Well, I mean, that's kind of funny because people will see that and they won't fold for five bucks and people will think that you're just trying to, they're joking around and stealing it. And then you're right. Somebody might say, oh yeah, okay. All right. You want to be funny? I'll make, I'll make it funny and make it 20 or something. And then you've got some money. I mean, I'm not necessarily worried about six, eight. Uh, I mean, I, I, the small no, blind right. could have it, no but that really should have that hand is the small, small blind, small maybe blind. the button, yeah, suit, you know, eight six, and it's but. So I, I mean, I, it's interesting that you want to bet the five bucks, and if they if they'll all kind of laugh and think it's comical because oh, there's that crazy Vic fooling around, and then that's that's something that you know you could sort of bank on for the future. So yeah, if that's something that he's doing here, and it might work out. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you think about it, there's not a lot in the pot. I mean, it, but here's the here's it goes it goes two ways here usually when you do this. One, somebody looks at it and is like, "Are right, you eleven bucks in the pot? Are you take it? It's not worth me trying to fight with my two over cards and hope I hit that river card, right? right. So, so that's a danger. And now we've only picked up five bucks. Where maybe if we would have checked, as we talked about earlier, the late position players might have put in a pot size bet or something like that. Or it could go as you mentioned that. All right, five bucks. I can afford five bucks, and I hopefully hit my card. And if you get all four of them to do that, uh, four or five, now you get fifteen to twenty-five bucks in the pot, which is probably better than we could have counted on playing it our way, right? right. So um, it, that that probably comes down to knowing the table and what 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 they're going to do. So if, if if I've played long enough where I think that that we're going to get a um, three or four calls with that five bucks, then that's the proper way to go. Yeah. If I think everybody is super tight and just going to get out of here, uh, then I, I think the five bucks is potentially costing us another five bucks. Right. All right. Uh, he says, Dan immediately raises to $15. And Vic says, hmm, if he called pre-flop with an overpair like tens, he surely would have bet the flop. Also, if he has a six in his, six in his hand, what could he have started with? If he's got a six suited, it can't be clubs or diamonds. Uh, very odd play from Dan, especially for such a small raise. I think if he had a six, he would have uh, bet much bigger. Middle position in the cutoff fold. Ray and the button calls fifteen dollars, uh, or calls fifteen dollars, sir. And the small blind folds. So action is back on us with forty bucks in the pot with a rake and drop accounted for. Well, he did say that he was looking to three bet if the right situation occurred. It feels like you certainly don't want guys sitting around with, you know, pocket eights you know, for nothing or whatever. And I, I think you started something that you want to finish here. You know, you put in that money for a reason, not for the 11 bucks, because you're hoping that you'd get some people to come along and maybe even raise you. I think that's what he was saying. That's why he wanted to three bet. So let's three bet, you know, whatever that would be 45 plus 15, 60 ish, maybe, you know, but then you're over betting the pot. So maybe you just bet pot now. Well, what I think is interesting, and maybe we'll see why he said this going to the back. I mean, it, uh, it, back, he says, if somebody plays back on me, or we're going to the mattresses with his hand. And, um, I, I don't know why I wouldn't. You know, we, yeah. we don't nuts, but we have the reasonable nuts, let's call it. <laughs> um, and uh, so now we got two players on the hook here. Um, I Maybe, again, maybe I'm, um, I'm a sucker at the table, but uh, mattress looks pretty good for me right now. So... I don't want to overbet here. I I, I I assume if one of somebody has us, only one of them has us, <laughs> um, and I don't think either one of them has us. So I'd like to keep both of these people in the pot. But if they one has shown an opportunity or desire to raise, um, and uh, another one has a call, you know, what what more can I squeeze out of them? So you know, you know, maybe thirty, forty. I hey, thirty seems kind of small. So. I don't know. I might raise a forty. Yeah, pot size bet maybe or something like that. And, and again, if they all fold, if they they were trying to see where they really are, now we we just picked up more money than we should have on this hand. So I'm happy with that. But uh, you're right. I don't want those eights to get a look at the river for fifteen bucks. So you know, if we could go back in time, I think that me sitting in the TBT offices 
uh, would have come up with the name Reasonable Nuts for our podcast. <laughs> because we are two reasonable nuts <laughs> who try to hit the reasonable nuts when they're playing poker. That is a brilliant name. Reasonable Nuts. <laughs> two wacky and crazy guys just trying to learn how to play poker. Oh, the man. whole world to see. Tune in next week to Reasonable Nuts. Um, I agree with you. I, I agree. Sounds like a poker sitcom. It does. It's like, oh, there you go. Poker Go is going to come out with Reasonable Nuts now. You all heard it first here. All right? Yeah, the great little laugh track and, you know, uh, some cute kid that's going to grow too old and we're going to replace him with another cute kid. <laughs> oh, that's just Kramer. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's another show. Sorry about that. Right. Oh man. But I agree with you. Maybe about a pot size bet. It's weird though. I thought if you if you actually you know just min raised, you know they might come along for an extra thirty bucks right there, you know fifteen fifteen, and then make your big bet on the end. But I don't know because it's hand of the week. Yeah, I'm not, I, I wouldn't criticize a min raise here, yeah. but I think I can squeeze that extra ten bucks out of them if they they really feel it's good. And and if I mean obviously the button feels like he should be in his hand. You know Dan might be just trying to play us, but. Um, but Ray thinks he belongs in his hands. So, you know, if you're going to call 30, you're going to call 40 there. So I guess is what I'm thinking. But I guess we'll see what happens. So, okay. All right, Vic says our hand is not going to improve. Since Dan has only raised an additional $10, he doesn't have 8-6. So what does Ray have? He called Dan's raise knowing that it opened up the betting to me. He might have bet the flop with an overpair, but he might also check it. Hard to say. He's also tricky enough and deep enough to have played a hand like 8-6 or 9-6. Uh, we need to figure out where we stand now as calling tells us nothing. The problem here is that Dan is a bit of a donkey and will call most bets with hands he overvalues, like two pair hands. Once Dan calls, there's more money in the pot, making it easier for Ray to call if he's drawing. After a bit of thinking, we announce the raise and make it another $30 to go. Uh, this is 60% of the pot. Um, uh, he says $40 in the pot plus my $10 call makes it 50 and then a $38 raise into the 50 pot. Mm-hmm. Dan tosses in six red ships and opts to just call a 30 bucks. Ray calls as well. Vic says, now we're hoping for a safe river. All right, well, kind of got what I wanted. Um, guess we'll see whether we really wanted that or not. But uh, Okay. With 140 in the pot, the river is the five of diamonds, making the final board seven of hearts, five of clubs, four of diamonds, three of spades, five of diamonds. And Vic says this board just got ugly. Yeah. Uh, Guys may have filled up. We're still first act. Dan has about one thirty behind, and Ray has about two eighty. What's the move? It does. It does feel like what? Who calls there? You know what I mean. You don't call that raise unless you have a set and you're hoping to boat up before you go crazy with the amount of money you're betting. And that that's what it feels like. It really feels like somebody has a boat here. Oh, uh, this is brutal. And the weird thing is, I'm like, if you look the way that it played, if you had a, if you flopped a set on this board, right, you're not going to slow play that. You shouldn't, at least, because the board's too dangerous at that point. So what I'm, what I'm really expecting to see is someone turn over pocket trays here that, you know, and because uh, that's that's a boat I'm worried about. Otherwise, I'm not. If you had two pair, you had a set. Oh, uh, I. And again, those hands are unlikely anyhow, but um, I, I think you would have bet here. So and my my initial instinct, which I think is what, what, what Vic was alluding to, is the board got ugly, and now I'm worried about um, somebody catching up. But I'm trying to figure out what hand they would have at that point. But then you make a very good point. Uh, if you don't have a hand, what are you doing calling a three-bet there right. on the turn? So... Yeah, I, I think I'm a little uh, gun-shy, a little scared here. So I think I'm checking, and then I'm going to have to re- reassess what happens, if anything happens. Yeah, I think I'm checking. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what hand I beat now that like, could make those calls and then have that board pair. You know, it's not like an overpair. An overpair would have bet, not checked the round. Uh, overpair would have raised, Probably, unless it's eights, but even then, you know, somebody is pretty aggressive, a button player would probably raise. So it doesn't seem to me like we're ahead anymore. It just, well, uh, I don't know. Also, let's not dismiss the pocket ace that we talked about. Um, that that, that would have made those calls, and we still have that beat. Um, but that's really about it. And it wouldn't have checked around pre flop, uh, post flop, though. After that flop, they would have bet all Draw. unders, and yeah. they would have had a draw to a straight. Yeah. And, straight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, I mean, unless it's nines or tens, but then those hands probably raise. I, it's pre-flop. So I, I feel like all those hands, any hand that's better than sevens that's made would have bet after that flop. 
So I'm confused. I feel like it's a set. And you're right. The threes make a lot of sense. Somebody just comes in for threes to see if they can hit a set. And then they're all over, so you don't bet it. But everyone checks, and now all of a sudden, boom, you've turned the set. And then you bet. Someone bets into you for $5. The guy who has a set of threes makes it 15 thinking it's going to be heads up, and that Vic was just trying to steal it. Now the other guy calls because it's only 15 and he's got a six in his hand because he had maybe he had six, seven, so he's got top pair with a six. But then maybe he would have bet the flop, so that hand kind of gets ruled out. So it's interesting. I feel like somebody does have like a threes full or something or even fours full, but I still feel like a, a, a different set might have bet too. So oh, I don't know what the other hand is. One of these hands has to have a six, and the other one has to have a set, I feel like. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm with you, though. I'm checking. Oh, boy. I can't wait to see what this turns out here. So, yeah. um, All right. Vic says, I think we've done with this hand. Um, I think we're done with this hand. I start to question our three bet on the turn. We decided to check and see how it plays out. I can't imagine that uh, uh, we all have a six in our hand, although, you know, Possible, but yeah, it's unlikely. Uh, <coughs> he says, Dan wastes no time in counting out $50 and slides that stack into the pot. He says, that's odd. He always jams with the nuts, especially with a 175 already in the pot and only 130 behind. Why so cautious? Actually moves to Ray, who thinks for only a short time before announcing all in. Uh, he says, I asked the dealer to count it down. Uh, put me in the camp who disagree with the TDA's recommendation to have dealers automatically all, all uh, call out every bet without being asked. I'm told it's 283 to call. He says, uh, did both these guys limp in with small cards or small pairs, check in the flop on a scary board, and then play the turn as they did only to fill up on the river? Or does one or both these players have a six in their hand or a sense that they can steal a pot on that river card? Action is on us. What's our move? Yeah, I'm folding. Yeah, you know, it's going to be sick if, if everybody turns over a six or somebody turns over some weird lesser hand than that. But, you know, I, I'm not... 283 to go at this point when all the signs are pointing to danger. Will Robinson, right? Yeah. And we've all, I mean, really, we, we made that raise, but, you know, we invested less than 100 in this hand. Um, I just, this is why I don't play hands aggressively out of position because it's, it's tough. It's tough to uh, gauge what's going on. And these guys, you know, that's the other thing, too. That's, that's the argument for raising preflop is maybe getting crappy cards out. Um, but you know, it's hindsight. So I, I would think that uh, I would think that we're we're beat or we're tied, and I don't like the odds. You know, then it's a coin flip on whether or not you know you got two other guys with you too in the hand. So one of them can be beating you. That's the thing. If you knew that the guy who had one seventy five in front of him, you know, was the one that you couldn't beat, and the other guy was one you could beat, then you'd make that decision. But yeah, there's no way to know that. So you gotta you just gotta let it go. I think he said he was done with the hand too. Yeah, he already said that. So. Um. He says, Ray is certainly clever enough to move all in to get me to fold my six on that river card. I think I played my hand face up after all. But he also uh, he must also know that Dan is a bit of a donkey and will overvalue his hand. And with $50 already in the pot, he's going to call up his remaining $80 in chips. This means Ray has a six for the straight or a boat. Turning my attention to Dan, I just can't see him betting $50 on that river card with just a six in his hand. Dan must have a boat that he's not going to fold. So if I call... Ray, then we'll have a side pot with four, worth 466, which at best I'm chopping. So sadly, we slide our cards in the muck, wondering if we could have gotten either one of these players to fold on earlier streets. Facing just one of them, or their positions reversed, I think we could have bet differently to take down a tiny pot on the turn. Uh, predictably, Dan stacks his remaining chips, slides them in the pot. He then tables tray of hearts, tray of diamonds. He limped in for $2, was happy to check the flop, and turned bottom set, which he figured was good for a raise, but not a four bet. He filled up on the river, but with bottom boat, he just bet 50 bucks and called off the rest. Ray didn't have a six or a boat, but tabled five of spades, five of hearts for quads. <laughs> he also limped in for $2, flop middle set on a scary board, and checked it as he normally does, then called $15 into a $25 pot and the $30 re-raise into the 110 pot on the turn, hoping to fill up. He makes the nuts on the river and decides to jam, hoping that I fill it up too, rather than make a smaller value raise of $80. Oh, well, he, we, we bet when we were ahead, and we check when we were behind on to the next hand. Um, yeah, you know, again, uh, he, uh, I don't know what – he know, th this guy obviously knows how good of a player Vic is, right? So yeah. he, as Vic said, uh, there, there's really no scenario there where you call on that river, uh, whether it's 80 or all in. You know, maybe a really small bet. I might 
I might put in just a, a you know the good old proverbial crying call. But uh, if he if he really knows Vic as good as he does, uh, he's not going to call eighty dollars there on that river. Um, so yeah, you know. He did the best he could. He got he got Dan stacked there, which Dan wasn't going anywhere at all there. So, wow, uh, really got a dangerous uh, slow playing those uh, that set of fives on that board. So, yeah, it paid off. Got lucky with that river. That turn was not good for him. Didn't uh, think we were finishing third, but we finished third. <laughs> and what's interesting about that turn is that it helped everybody. I mean, it didn't help everybody. It didn't help. Uh, uh, I mean, everybody had real hands at that point. Yeah, you know, straight yeah. and two sets. Um. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. All right. Well, good hand, Ray. That was nice. <laughs> Way to get out of it, too, Vic. I knew you would. So. All right. You've been listening to two unreasonable nuts because <laughs> we're not reasonable anymore because that was bad. We again. should have that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. Yeah, that's Scott Locke. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. <laughs>